virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a Well, they say football is a game of two halves, and it certainly was against Arsenal. A shocker in the first, very good in the second, but they couldn't beat Ramsdale. Plenty to discuss with games against Moscow and Leeds on horizon. It's for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me over the airwaves, it's Mr. Rob Hayes. Rob, we have not spoke for three Leicester games because of the nature of the season and the way that we're in cup competitions, left, right and centre. Uh, also being away, etc. and all that. Uh, I'm now back in God's County of Leicestershire, back from the fresh air and the sea air of, of Witters. Um and then since then, we've won in the league, we've progressed in the League Cup, and then we've been defeated at home against Arsenal. A real, as we were saying, and as I was saying, you know, rock and roll football and all this, it is still a bit all over the place. Scoring goals, apart from obviously at the weekend, conceding goals. And, and ultimately, I don't think we're any further... I'd say behind of where we were when we last spoke. We're on the back of that game against uh, Moscow, the, the the crazy game, or was it actually just before the Moscow game? But anyway, um, I think it was just after, wasn't it? And then we had the win up against Brentford. As much as it wasn't the greatest display, but still a, another win, beating Brighton, which meant it was four wins on the bounce. And then what ultimately looks like a disappointed defeat. We'll come on to the Arsenal game. And we'll speak quite a lot about the Arsenal game because it's. I thought it was one of the most bonkers games I've seen for a long time. But first of all, how are you? And how do you think, first of all, where are Leicester sitting in in your kind of conscience? Because at the moment with me, I'm absolutely not bothered about the position in the league. I've had a few people mention about, say, Spurs are, are in crisis and yet they're kind of ahead of us and points-wise and this and the other. And I'm I'm fine with where we are. I'd love us to be higher. I'd love us to have more points, but I'm not. I'm not completely abandoning ship. You know, I, I'm completely fine because we're still not playing well, and there's a there's a a really good side and a good season still ahead of us. I believe. Never a dull moment following Leicester City, is there? Hello, Pete. Hello, everybody. Uh, where am I with Leicester City? Well, to be honest with you, I'd have preferred to be sat here before the Arsenal game talking about that kind of you know yes we we beat Manchester United in, in a proper thriller and then we got ourselves through in the Europa League and then we got ourselves through in the to a Premier League win against Brentford which is not proving very easy uh, and then we got ourselves through just about in the League Cup against Brighton you know I'd, I'd have been sat there saying you know what there, there's a few different types of football match there that Leicester City have come through all of them showing a different kind of skill set in each um and then you've got the Arsenal game where it was a 2-0 defeat which was i mean 
you can analyse it in more detail as we will, but basically given to Arsenal um, in the early stages of the game. So it is, I'm, I'm the same as you really, Pete. I'm kind of sat in exactly the same place as we were last time we, we spoke on the podcast. Although I think at the moment there is now more uh, of a glimmer of of positivity because it's quite clear that the capability to win football matches is in this team. But it's also quite clear that they're not going to make things easy for themselves every game. And that there's a long way to go to get to the point where we're winning more than we're losing and drawing, which is okay at this stage of the game, at this stage of the season. But it does, you know, I thought we turned a corner in terms of form and results and then the Arsenal game comes along and it kind of brings everybody back into a bit more of a reality check, as it were. And that reality is we're watching Leicester City. They're never going to win every single week and make our lives easy, are they? Yeah, that's the key. You win four on the bounce and then you lose at home to Arsenal. It's not going to be the end of the world. But it's it highlights for me what's the problem that the manager has. Because we all know that his ideal formation is not what he's been playing. The way that they've had the back three, etc. And then having Kletchi and Acho behind Vardy. That's was almost kind of forced onto Rodgers because of the um, the poor performances by players in the specific positions. And, and also with, with injury problems, etc. And then we've had the upturn in form. So you can't change that really. It's just like the end of last season. Now, I'm not saying he's going to completely change things on the back of one one game and one result. I think to do that would be a, a very strange and uh, reactionary move. Unless it was so bad um, that it would need to happen because you just can't... It would be foolish then to go in with the same formation and the same team again, even if it's just one game. But if that game is so bad, then then yeah, change it. That's, that's the, the conundrum I think he's got. He's got, um, and which he's got a, a good out at the moment, I believe, because he's got the game midweek in a couple of days in the Europa League, which is a, a perfect opportunity. And just to go into slightly about what what I'm talking about is that half against Arsenal, the first half was so bad it was untrue, and then you've got the second half, which I thought, quite frankly, was excellent. Two of the most contrasting halves of football probably I've ever seen that strong I thought they were woeful in that first half absolutely woeful even to the point of when they got slightly on top in the final 10 minutes of the half they were still very poor and very slack even though Arsenal dropped off something that Arsenal do towards the end of the game expected Arsenal to drop off they did for the whole second half I thought they were very good in the first half Arsenal don't get me wrong but Leicester would dreadful and then second half through a number of factors and a number of reasons which we'll come on to I thought Leicester were frankly excellent I thought they were really good against again a side who were 2-0 up playing well but they just couldn't score and again we'll come on to so what will Rodgers do now he's got the game in midweek which I'd imagine he would have played the formation we'll come on to talk about I don't think that would have been the case Uh, it, it wouldn't have been the case even if Leicester won on um, on Saturday lunchtime against Arsenal. I think he would have still changed the formation against uh, Moscow midweek. But this really just highlight um, 
what he will do against uh, Moscow. So it's it's very it's very weird. It's very odd. I think we could take these three games kind of in one, and we'll look at the Arsenal game probably a bit more in detail. Now the Brentford game, the Brentford game was so strange because as much as Brentford played well. And I have uh, a number of friends, I said before, who are Brentford fans. And, and I'm talking proper big-time fans. They, they even went, if you're a Brentford fan, you're going to go to... Where would you go if you're a Brentford fan for an away game, Rob? What, 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 what will be on your hit list? Well, they've got plenty to choose from, haven't they? But uh, if, you, if I'm a Brentford fan and I'm wanting to go to an away game... In the, in the Premier League? Yeah, yeah, well... they. I bet they could count on one hand the amount of times that they've been to Premier League stadiums in in for an actual match. Exactly, and on, and this and they went to they went to uh, Burnley of all places, and I was like, "What are you going to Burnley for? Surely you've been Burnley in the Championship or or whenever." Um, but the, the season ticket holders, etc., and they know their football, and they're talking about the game and saying, obviously, you know, Leicester won, etc., but and the goals were fantastic, but. Brentford were generally on top, and it was a, a fairly forgettable game. But when, I presume from Leicester's point of view, that would have been the case after scoring a, a wonderful goal from Yuri Tillemans. And I actually think that the second goal is equally as good. It's not as blockbuster, but I think the whole move was excellent. The hold-up play by Kelechi Inacho, very strong, to play the ball into Yuri Tillemans. That through ball first time for Dakar hit the timing of Dakar's runs. We know those four goals he scored uh, in Moscow, but the the timing of a few of those and this run as well, he's got that Vardy knack, hasn't he, of staying on side. Hopefully that continues through his career after seeing a number of players uh, being called offside in in recent games that I've seen on TV quite constantly. But uh, his timing of his run was fantastic, and then to square it to um, to Madison, a lovely goal on the back of a goal being conceded from a corner. I think apart from that, it was. Just a, a solid performance and a decent defensive performance by Leicester. Fairly unspectacular game apart from those those goals, really, Rob. Yeah, that's what Brennan Rodgers has talked about before. There are going to be times within games where you have to be in control of the game, even though you might not be in control of possession. And I think Leicester proved that quite well against Brentford. It was by no means the the barrage that Brentford produced against Chelsea um, without any any joy in terms of finding the back of the net. It wasn't like that. They were on top in terms of they were using the ball better uh, and they were probably creating the odd um, more clear-cut opening than, than Leicester. But by and large, I wasn't, I wasn't hugely worried. And then you knew that Leicester would have that quality to make Brentford pay on the counter-attack as they did with that goal which was very well worked I agree with you two very different brilliant goals for two very different reasons and with Daka playing on the shoulder the timing of those runs but also the electric speed that he's got is quite frightening because you know a lot of quicker strikers you'd, you'd tell them to give themselves a yard to make sure that they're definitely on side because they're going to beat the defender anyway if Daka can time his runs like that and be that quick he's going to get so many more opportunities and I enjoyed what Madison said afterwards as well um, in the interview uh, he got asked "Were you? did you think Dakar would square it to you and he said yeah absolutely 100% he's, he's that guy who will have kind of weighed it up and gone you know what the best outcome for the team here the, the outcome that is most likely to get the team a goal is if I roll it square for Madison and we spoke 
uh, I don't know if it was the last podcast or the one before that, about how Dakar and Samari seem to fit into the work ethic, the team collective goal that is Leicester City and that's epitomised everything that's been good about Leicester for the last five, six, seven years is that. And Dakar seems to kind of encapsulate that, really. And Madison, first goal since February, which, uh, I mean, coincides with the fact that we've said he's been no good since before uh, Christmas, really, of, of the previous season. Not no good, but he was talking about having his swagger back and having his confidence back uh, after the last few games. And that's the kind of James Madison that we need to see. He needs to back up those words with more consistently good performances, I'd say. But good for him to remember what it feels like to hit the back of the net. Excellent from from Dakar. And yeah, job done, I think, away at Brentford, who maybe um, weren't quite able to match the intensity that they've produced so far this season. I think they'll still be absolutely fine. uh, But they do need to probably churn out a couple more results in games like that against teams like us. But on this occasion, I'm glad that they didn't. Yeah, they've got a big problem with the goalkeepers out for for a while. He's been been in excellent form and, and what effect that will have on defence. This new keeper came in and they're going to get spanked by Burnley. So we'll see what happens with them. But it, it, was a, it was more about, I think, the result there, just to confirm the good run of form. We get over the line. Thanks to a good rearguard display, Daniel Armati, etc., play very well. And then you got the Brighton game in midweek. They're always just fun games, aren't they, in this stage of the League Cup. Now it will get serious in the next round, a trip to Anfield against what will be a Liverpool reserve side. Bear in mind that, because Liverpool, throughout Klopp's time there, really, have played their reserve side in every round of the League Cup. If you remember the games against Arsenal, they've played over a couple of seasons where it was you know, 6-5 or something stupid like that, weren't it? And they play their kids. So it's going to be a tough game, but they will play their reserves. That's going to be a really interesting game when it comes to the lineups, and we'll speak about that more near the time. But we knew, I think if you went to the ground, and I think there was plenty of fans who went to Brighton or went to the game at the King Power against Brighton in the League Cup who maybe have um, struggled to get tickets for Premier League games. This is why I like the League Cup, because it gets you, you can go to the games and you know they're going to be a change side. There's going to be a few of the stars, but you're going to get some of the younger players. Hamza Chowdhury is captain. It was um, and, and that's no surprise. Brighton doing exactly the same. And then you've got two similar-ish sides in the Premier League this season up to now. Whether that'll be the case at the end of the season, I don't think so. I think we'll be ahead of them. But, and, and probably quite far, uh, I think uh, it's no surprise to see it as 2-2 and the way that the game kind of ebbed and flowed and there was mistakes at one end and the other end, a few players... I mean, let's put it right, they pretty much assisted both of our goals, didn't they? But uh, 2-2 and then you got a penalty shootout and it was an excellent penalty shootout from Leicester uh, we know that we've got two fabulous keepers anyway regardless of penalties but in the penalty shootout scenario you name a better duo really than Kasper Schmeichel and Danny Ward if you, I mean if you had the choice you might even go with I mean Schmeichel's a, a, I would have Schmeichel in the penalty shootout over most goalkeepers arguably in world football but I actually maybe have Danny Ward ahead of him. I think he's, he's such a cool customer when it comes to penalties. And I think it's because of his record, because of the experience he's got at Leicester 
in penalty shootouts. You think of the, the the ones that we've won over recent seasons. Now he's been at the, since he's been at the club, and then the confidence he's got anyway from being in fantastic form for Wales over the best part of eighteen months or so. We've got a, an excellent reserve goalkeeper, and I was in no doubt watching that penalty shootout that Ward would at least save one or two, or or he would have an influence on their penalties. Obviously, with hitting the bar, and then it was the Ward save, but ours were just clinical. So, a good win, but it was a, it's a fun win, isn't it? I think now it gets serious in the next round. Once you get to the quarterfinals, that's serious. But before it, it is a bit of a roll the dice and and just enjoy the day. Well, I enjoyed it because I went, and it was my it was the first time I've been to back to back games at the King Power Stadium as a fan for honestly I can't remember how long. Uh, and I, in terms of enjoyment, I went with just my mum. And I don't think I've been to a Leicester game with only my mum since we had season tickets together when I was about 14, 15, which uh, was a very nice evening, actually. My dad didn't fancy it. He only goes to the games that he has to, that my mum drags him along to. Uh, but we had a little wander around um, the Memorial Garden beforehand. Of course, it was uh, at the anniversary of the of the helicopter crash. Um there was a, a very poignant minute silence before before the game, which was impeccably observed. I've got to say, um, people either holding up the the clapper with the with the message on it, or or the scarves that they that they'd previously had those those white scarves, and it it was a it was a nice moment in a way, um, but also obviously one that you never actually want to have to sort of have those moments you know it's it, going to develop you know. isn't it that 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 moment every yeah, year so. it's, it's going yeah, to develop yeah. into a kind of from from it's going to always going to be remembrance but it's also going to be a almost turn into a thank you isn't it it's going to be a celebration it's going to go from remembrance to celebration eventually um and then obviously on the the main days itself on the day itself and also on the on, on the poignant marks the, the fifth anniversary the 10th anniversary etc then it will be ramped up to maybe more remembrance but uh, i think eventually it will turn into a seller which i think it kind of was as well now even though it's still very raw and very very near three years it's it's not that long ago um I, it's but I, I think at the time and and from seeing what people were posting this year compared to last year i know that was just online and that but i was reading quite a lot and it it seemed to be more celebration and thanks uh this year um rather than say last year because obviously that was only you know 2 years out as you say the old uh, adage that time is a great healer it will become kind of less raw for people in terms of it being a tragedy and more so as a as a date for celebrating the lives obviously of of all of the people involved but purely from a sort of football point of view um the life of Vichai and the impact that he had on the football club on the city um and everything that we have to be thankful to him and his family for yeah my mum my, my said uh, i don't think it'll last a minute the the silence um, she thought it would probably turn into some uh, applause, a minute's applause, or or maybe even bursting into song, and it and it didn't, which was quite nice in a way, um, because obviously the song gets plenty of outings in every single game um, these days that you hear. So it was quite nice to have that moment to to kind of reflect. And you know, I'm I'm certainly not one for for fate or anything like that, but. It was kind of like the moment when 
you know when Damari Gray scored for Leicester in the first game back after the after the tragedy it was kind of like you knew that something positive was going to happen that day even though if you if you thinking about it as a football match it was a pretty much a non-entity I think Brighton was slightly better than us I think it looked as disjointed as the team sheet would have suggested in terms of patterns of play and retaining possession the goals came from Brighton mistakes but you know when it got to the penalty shootout it might have been something to do with it being that particular date it it definitely had a lot to do with the fact that Danny Ward was between the sticks but I was I was there and at no point did I think we were going to lose that penalty shootout and it, it just kind of felt that way uh which is which is great and it the academy prospects or the academy graduates rather that were on the field of play is a is a huge nod to what's happening in the development squad and, and what's happened over the last few years uh, a nod to Brendan Rodgers in terms of being willing to give the players the chance to play in the first team and long may that continue and long may they supplement the first team squad in in the way that they do and add the strength and depth that they do as well um yeah it does get serious now because you know when you're in the quarterfinals you're ever closer to winning a trophy regardless of the the kind of merit that people put on the trophy you are one step closer to a final you have got a big team like liverpool who regardless of what team they put out will provide a very stern threat so it's kind of like yeah the the fun parts over now and the competition becomes a little bit more serious when there are only eight teams left and then we move on to Arsenal <laughs> um, which it was absolutely bonkers did you did you watch the game on TV Rob or were you there no 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 neither I've I've watched highlights since but I didn't I didn't actually watch it at the time all right uh, well I was, I was on holiday in York having a much more relaxing time by the sounds of it than watching that game Oh, all right. Up, up in York. So, well, there we go. We've both been in the same area, really. Not a million miles away from Witters. No, but uh, Whitby was probably cold, windy, and and seasidey, whereas York was cold and wet. But there were plenty of little streets and pubs to hide in. Yeah, you got all the shambles and all that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Nice. Um, this game was insane. Really looking forward to. It. I think most City fans were Arsenal at home. It's always plenty of goals. If you think back over recent uh, years and performances. Uh, normally a decent actually uh, game for Leicester, especially at the King Power. Early kickoff on a Saturday, so you know it, it was all kind of set up. But that was the problem. We were all ready, and I think we were all ramped up because of the run that they'd been on, and the players weren't. The team picked itself. You knew the team that they were going to play. There was a problem with um, Ricardo Pereira midweek. Uh, so so Thomas comes in. So so, but apart from that, you knew what Leicester were going to do. You knew their formation, and I think that's the, that was the key thing. First of all, I think Arsenal, and I've watched Arsenal in a few games recently. I watched them especially against um, Aston Villa, and it, in, in, a, in a kind of a link to this game, I think Villa were just really poor that day, and, and Arsenal were given a lot of credit when actually Villa were just so bad. Arsenal played okay, but still still beat them. And they they lined up in a in a four four two, and you looked at their side and went right. They've got one or two players who are highlighting in particular. One in particular who is a real standout, who really caught my eye against Villa, and then especially against Leicester. But you thought they're going to be solid, 
and difficult to break down, but Leicester are going to be on the front foot because they're at the King Power and within on, been on this good run. And the previous game at the King Power in the Premier League was the United game. But it just never started. I don't know quite what happened with Leicester in that first half mentality-wise. They were absolutely abysmal. And you know me, I, <laughs> I, when I say that, that's, that's quite harsh. But this is fully deserved, absolutely deserved. I thought the attitude of the players from from a uh, I say an effort but just from just from keeping their heads was was abysmal they were all over the place they were second to every 50-50 ball uh, the amount and and from that the amount of throws and I know throwing maybe isn't the best gauge for that but in the first 20 minutes every 50-50 or every kind of throw it went for Arsenal Arsenal got not say the rub of the green but they were winning those balls, and it was all Arsenal. That's for Arsenal. That free kicks for Arsenal, and it was nothing to do with the officials. It was just that's the way the game was going, and it wasn't that they were unbelievably exceptional. They were very solid, very efficient, but also they highlighted and they knew how we were going to play. They knew we were going to play with a back three, which can cause problems with the wing backs, and it did in the first half. They were given the run around big time. Um, Paul Thomas who had a really good second half at left-back, but in the first half, obviously being slightly further forward at win-back, just he needed to go back 20 yards, and he, it was just a huge gap be, behind him. And then the other, and then you got Kalai Sionchu, who, who was, Charlo, he was all at sea in that first half as well. And then whenever they got to the byline, which was basically every single attack, a square ball or, or a shot on goal and normally found a player in the box and that's how they scored their second goal with Smith Rowe. It was it was all over the place, really. And then in midfield, Samari just couldn't get near. I thought Partey was really good all game. Uh, Yuri Tillemans was off with his passing. Uh, Ian Acho and Vardy, I don't think did an awful lot wrong. Matt, and Madison as well. I don't think he had the worst game in the world at all, but it was just... They were overran almost by this extremely solid Arsenal side. Sometimes in training, you hear stories, heard stories of years ago where you'd almost have like a back four where they were tied together. So there'll be a, some rope about, say, 10 metres long uh, and you tie it on the, the, the right arm of the right back and then the left arm of the left centre half and it goes across the back four. So they can't be that far away from each other. And it was almost like that with Arsenal. They moved in kind of groups. And it was almost like a table football team in a weird way. Whenever one moved across, they all did. And Leicester just couldn't break their lines at all. And I say that saying Arsenal played well. But also, there was a very distinct lack of any kind of urgency or even getting a good challenge in to get the crowd going, who were very quiet because of the performance. It was just all Arsenal. All you could hear was Arsenal for the first half. It was odd, really weird and poor. In fact, not even poor. It was dreadful, really dreadful. And it was quite a relief. It was only 2-0 approaching half-time. And then we had what you can maybe look at, possibly the defining moment of the game in theory, was was the save from Ramsdale, who was su almost superhuman in a way. He had an unbelievable game. 
You mentioned the game that Brentford played against Chelsea and Mendy in the second half was unbelievable. Well, Ramsdale, I thought that performance probably won't be better this year. Ramsdale was, I mean, that save from Madison's free kick. He wasted a free kick into the wall before that. And in commentary, when that second free kick was given, I just said he needs to just get this over the wall because that will be extremely difficult for the goalkeeper. What it was, but that save was one of the best saves I've seen. And then very unlucky that it didn't go in off the back of Ramsdale, off the post, etc. But uh, an amazing save. And that, I don't think, has, has cost, not cost less of the game, but because of the way the second half went, I don't think that was a real game-changer with Leicester's performance in the second half. But going in at 2-1, when you are so off, would have been... I think it would have changed Leicester's approach to the second half and it could easily then have changed the game just being 2-1. But the fact it was 2-0 going into half-time, I think, arguably, was the right result but maybe could have been three. That first half was a shocker. Yeah, if Madison's free kick goes in, then obviously the, the whole mindset of the players, of the fans, uh, it changes. There's all of a sudden uh, a sense of momentum uh, and you kind of... If you skip into half time at at two one, you think flipping it, we got away with that, and, and we'll we'll come out and we'll make the most of that second half. Uh, you know, when a when a goalkeeper presents himself as as pretty much unbeatable like Ramsdale did, then there are times when you you've got to question your belief in the in the sense that you're actually going to be able to physically put the ball in the back of the net in that game, and it and it can deflate you in a way. It, it's just the first half is frustrating in for so many reasons because the game against Manchester United was the polar opposite. Leicester were so in their faces from the very first second which gets immediately gets 30,000 supporters right behind them. Pro, the atmosphere at the United game was was superb. You could barely hear United fans because there was just song after song and the volume of the Leicester fans was was brilliant. I wasn't there at the Arsenal game, admittedly, but you've said yourself that Arsenal fans were much, much louder and the atmosphere was was fairly flat. And the fans can only do so much. They have to have something to react to. And if they're seeing players that look like they're approaching the game with apathy, that aren't seemingly coping with the intensity that the opposition uh, are providing, then you know what have you got to get up for as a supporter? What's going to get you out of your seat? You at least want somebody to show a little bit of frustration, say, and if they've gone in for a tackle or they've got beaten, I'm not saying to go and try and hurt the opposition or anything, but you know, just to stick one on them and, and let them know that they're there. That's that's really all you want to see. And the thing with Arsenal is, you said it yourself, Pete, and we just watch from a sort of spectator's point of view. They can't. At the moment, whether they'll be able to later on in the season, I don't know, but they can't sustain that for 90 minutes at the moment. They are really good in patches, and that's providing them with the platform that's given them this excellent run of results, and they're steadily climbing the table and improving beyond what I thought they could could have done after the first three games of the season. They were abysmal, weren't they? But... As as Leicester, you've got you've got two choices really as to how you approach the start of the game. You either try and go toe to toe with them, which worked worked against Manchester United, or you think right, okay, Arsenal are going to come flying out the blocks here, 
And what we'll do is make sure that we're nice and compact and make sure that there are no spaces between the lines. There's no space in the channels for them to play in. And exactly what you said about Luke Thomas and the wingbacks, sit 10 yards deeper and make sure that that option doesn't exist even for the first five or 10 minutes, just as you find your feet into the game, if you know the opponent is going to start at that kind of tempo. But to be two goals down inside 18 minutes and be kind of looking around going, how do we get anywhere near them, is very disappointing. You know, Rogers said that Leicester's approach was the opposite of the game plan, which would suggest to me that his game plan was go toe-to-toe, Trust that your players can match Arsenal's players for tenacity, for desire. And that clearly didn't happen. And yeah, 2-0 completely deserved. As you said, it could have been more. Um, potentially should have been, Was such was the, the, the low level of the performance in the first half. And, and then to see that save from Ramsdale, which has been, you know, talked about on social media by some of the goalkeeping greats of the Premier League era, Peter Schmeichel, even though his son was in goal at the other end, uh, David Seaman, obviously Arsenal's legendary goalkeeper. I've got to say about Ramsdale, it, he's obviously he's had a fantastic game. I was not sure about spending £24 million on him in the summer. Having seen him drop a couple of clangers at uh, Sheffield United... And Bournemouth, I just I didn't see what they saw in him. Obviously, I'm not a goalkeeping scout by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but you know, Chris Wilder has said he was he was doing some media coverage of the game, and he said uh, that he's not surprised because he backs his ability. He's very very vocal, and he's he's for me if he continues this kind of performance level. And proving that he can do it in the top half of the Premier League, which is where I think Arsenal will finish, then he's put himself right in for a, for a shout as England's at least number two going forward. So unfortunate that that James Madison found his range from from the free kick. He's turning away. Vardy's already off celebrating, and Ramsdale's like, no, it's a phenomenal save. It is. It's it's a fantastic save. Looking at the two teams, I had down that we would overrun them in midfield when it was completely the opposite. Lacazette dropped very deep and his physical presence, he was picking up the ball from Ramsdale. Ramsdale was kicking it virtually along the ground, straight down the middle of the park to Lacazette, who's on halfway. Happened numerous occasions. And then you've got the two wingers. You've got Saka on one side on the Arsenal right and you've got Smithrow who who was kind of all over the place but predominantly on the left so when you had any kind of run from midfield or when you had any space in midfield to then have the time to look up and pass essentially Smithrow was then against Castagna and Saka was probably beyond Thomas by now and there was just an acre of space to aim into and the amount of time that the midfield had to pass the ball into that was was unbelievable. And it wasn't the midfield who did it. It was the likes of Lacazette dropping deep into midfield. And it was either White stepping out of defence and playing the ball. He's a very good passer. 
And it was one player in particular who I think Leicester were actually interested or linked to in the summer, uh, Tavares, the left-back, Nuno Tavares, who, let's get it right, is very young, very raw, etc. But I watched against Villa and I just kept on saying, this guy has got everything. He's quick, strong, direct, very attacking, plays like a winger almost against Villa even though he's the left-back. And then against Leicester, I thought he had an absolutely fantastic game. He'll get the ball and just stride forward, quick, powerful, and then it was him who found himself in a few times on the edge of the Leicester penalty area, just walking straight through or running straight down the pitch. Now, where he goes in his career, I don't know, but he's a very, very exciting player, really good player, very promising, completely raw as anything, but he's got all the tools to be a a top-class player. And then you've got Tommy Asu, who looks very kind of assured at the back on the right-hand side. And essentially, when Tavares just goes down the field, the back three at the time, they just move across and turn into a back threes. It's quite a simple procedure. But they were finding balls behind Leicester's midfield into the into the wide areas. And then you've got Soyuncu coming across. And then what didn't happen was you got Evans and an Armati come across, but then there was no one to fill in at the back stick where Smith Rowe then scores. Very simple because Castagna's further downfield as a wing back. Thomas had a torrid time in the first half. It was just all a real mess. It, it was a complete mess. And I think Arsenal just done the right number on Leicester, a real job. They know exactly what to do. And it looked like they were playing to a complete set pattern. And that was it. This is how we're going to get at Leicester, and it worked, and it worked really well. And then after that, it's a case of trying to control the game, which eventually they didn't, and then it was a case of holding on, which eventually they did. So there's, there's a lot more to do there. They've got the, the A game right, it's it's the rest of it they need to work on. But they haven't got the players, quite frankly. They haven't actually got the players uh, to do that. But that's Arsenal. It needed to be changed at half-time, and it was. I thought they might make one substitution, but they made two. They brought on Luckman and they brought on Barnes. So you change the formation to go with a back four, and then you have the rest of the team as you would have. Barnes one side, Vardy in the middle, and um, and on the right, Luckman, so a 4-3-3 in theory. And, and Leicester instantly looked better. Uh, first of all, on the left, you've got Thomas and Barnes. I thought Barnes in the second half was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It completely destroyed Tommy Asu, who looked a very solid, and I think he's a very solid and capable fullback. Barnes ripped him to shreds. And also, Thomas, who was, I'm going to say behind him, but at many opportunities, was actually in front of him. Those two dovetailed fantastically in the second half. Night and day performance from Thomas. Ripped to shreds in the first half by Saka and also his poor positioning and also just the system he was playing in. But second half, he was brilliant. He was very unlucky not to score. It was a shame it wasn't Barnes in that position, but from where I was, it looked very, very close. Um, And then on the other side, you've got Castagna, who was staying further back, mainly because Luckman's ahead of him, and he's more more of an out-out winger, obviously Barnes is as well, but he kind of hung back slightly and a bit more defensive, mainly because of the attacking play so much on the left. Again, he could then come round to help out when Thomas is going forward, a la what Arsenal did in the first half. It just looked so much more secure and everyone knew what they were doing and more familiar with the roles. 
Luckman just basically, as soon as he gets the ball, turn, run towards goal. That's his game. And make things happen, which he did, and which he does. Unfortunately, it never really fell to, say, Vardy on... I'm talking about his feet. He had one kind of header, um, and then one which was a bit high, really. He tried to get his foot round. But the goalkeeper was in great form. He was having one of those days where everything was hitting him. Uh, he stopped one with his chest, very Schmeichel-like at the near post from, uh, I think it was Luckman on the right. Uh, one or two smart saves, good handling, safe handling box. Again, as much as the, the save from the free kick was good, equally everything else in the game, he it, it, it just he was having one of those games where, I think Leicester was still playing now, they wouldn't have scored past him. Uh, Barnes had a few really good opportunities. Again, well saved. Also, the pace of when... Ramsdale comes out, Barnes, as soon as he looks up to get his shot on goal, Ramsdale's right there, lying on the ground in front of him. Extremely quick. But Leicester just piled forward second half, and I thought Leicester in the second half were excellent. I thought they were really, really good. Yes, they had the liability to go forward, because or the ability to, because they were behind in the game and they could throw caution to the wind, you know, 3-0, 2-0, whatever. But um, but overall, apart from actually scoring past Ramsdale, I, I thought they were really good. It was noticeable in the first half, there were quite a number of boos, deservedly so, because it was a shocker. And then at full time, there wasn't really, because I think everyone accepted that it just wasn't Leicester's day in that second half especially. And also, they gave it a real good go, some really good play, and it it was just overall a disappointing day, because... If Leicester scored that free kick, you go in at 1-2, and then second half, you know a one goal gets back into it, and Arsenal, they might, you know, soil themselves eventually, and we we grab an equaliser from somewhere, who knows. But if it wasn't for that absolutely dreadful first half, it's a game Leicester arguably could have won and should have won, which sounds mad, and if anyone hears that who's not who wasn't at the game or didn't watch the game or who's maybe not assigned to Leicester thinks, oh, this guy's talking absolutely bonkers. Leicester should have won the game. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that that with that second half performance, it was so one way, really. Later on, there was a couple of opportunities for Arsenal as they made a few subs and, and catching Leicester as Leicester were really throwing everything at Arsenal. But that second half gives a lot of hope going forward because... If they carried on with that first half performance, you would have really had to question an awful lot of things because that that would have been it's such a poor performance. It would have been questioned players' motivation. What happened midweek? Um, are they simply, as a side, not good enough to beat an Arsenal side? It, it, it was. It would have been a really head, a real head scratcher and very worrying. But as it is, as much as it's a blot on the form guide and in our Premier League performances and in, in our Premier League um, position. Overall, looking at the back end now of the game, it's a disappointing result, but there's a lot to look forward to because I'm in no doubt that Leicester will play the way and the formation-wise of that second half rather than the first half. I think the three at the back is now gone for the foreseeable future. I think it would have been against Moscow. I think that would have happened anyway. We would have gone with the back four. But because of that first half against Arsenal was so bad and the second half was very, very good, 
I think we're going to go with a back four from now on, the foreseeable future, which means Barnes is back, which means Lookman will probably get a run. Shame for Kelechi Nacho, who had a first half shot. Uh, skim the post. It was a good save again. Fingertips, skim the post. Didn't do really anything wrong, but I think he might have to make way for that forward three before we had Iniacho back in the side. Yeah, and I guess there are two questions that come out of the game, really. One of them is, why on earth didn't Leicester do that in the first half if they are more shown that they're more than capable of it in the second half? I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that one. And the other one is, why were Arsenal able to predict, plan for and execute that plan so effectively in the first half when Leicester have got a manager that everybody claims to be one of the best tacticians going, uh, a man who's meticulous in his preparations, uh, how he sets his teams up, the way that he works on the training ground to make that happen on in a competitive match. You know, you, you've got to look at it, and in the first half especially, Mikel Arteta has done an absolute number on Brendan Rodgers. So we're talking about players and and, and that kind of thing and, and not necessarily matching up on on the field of play, but you've got to look at the bloke in the technical area as well and say that if this is a game of chess, then Mikel Arteta is absolutely a country mile ahead of Brendan Rodgers for that first half performance because Leicester should have watched Arsenal in as much detail and should have noted that certain formations or certain players in certain areas would cause them um, issues. Why does it need two half-time substitutions and a rollicking from the manager for Leicester to actually spring back into life? You know, the, football is one of those games, though, isn't it, where where the tiniest momentum swing can, can change everything. In terms of the formation, I think you are right there, Pete, and it is unfortunate for Iheanacho, but what he has to do is keep doing what he has been doing for Leicester City, and that's if he doesn't start when he is selected to come onto the onto the pitch, because I think there will be times when he when he is. He's not going to be cast out by any stretch of the imagination. He's just got to do what he was doing before, have an impact for the team, and he's just got to realise that through the next little patch of matches, it's it's likely that his impact will need to come from the bench rather than from a starting position. And he's got to force himself back into the starting lineup. And and that's there's no other way to go about it. There's nothing else he can do about it. There are I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult now for him because Madison seems to have turned a, a bit of a corner as I said earlier. He needs to now maintain a consistently high level for 5 and then 10 games to to prove that he has completely turned it around. But it's it's that position that they're really vying for because it's it, it, it was proven with Barnes and Lookman that having two proper wingers on the pitch will cause teams some problems. You look at the modern-day fullback. They are usually now, for most teams, first and foremost, not really defenders. Obviously, you get some um, proper old school fullbacks but really even you look at our fullbacks in in Ricardo and Castagna they are much more forward thinking nowadays than they ever have been so you would you've got to say that from a positional sense or from a 1v1 defending point of view 
they're not going to be as effective as as the fullbacks that you would have seen probably in the 90s and the early noughties that are essentially the fullback now for me is a winger that was not quite good enough to play as an out and out winger so got dropped back whereas previously fullbacks were center backs who didn't grow enough essentially and were just defenders that just got moved a little bit to the side well i think if you look at if you look at arsenal's two right tomiyasu is an old fashioned center uh, fullback and Tavares is a modern fullback I mean I think that I think Tavares is a completely um if you're looking for a modern day fullback who goes forward he's right up there in I am just attacking every single opportunity and then Tom Yasu is his solid right back there there's a there's a real difference between the two of them and I think there's no surprise in that they're in the same side again one goes forward the other one comes across to make a, a more solid back line um exactly what we did in second half with Thomas going forward and then uh, Castagna coming across and, and, and helping out. So, yeah, there, there's your example of your of your old-fashioned and your uh, modern day. Exactly, and it's about balance, really, because the reason that Leicester were able to be so, so much more effective in the second half is that Lookman's good 1v1 against full-backs and Tavares doesn't seem to fancy defending that much. Um, so that side was good. And then on the left-hand side, you know Barnes is right-footed. He's always going to want to drift inside. And you can create then that overload with Thomas going on the overlap. This is the this is the downside of playing the 3-5-2 or whatever you want to call it. The wing-backs are that. They are, they are full-backs that are pushed a little bit further forward. And they need somebody else ahead of them. Or they need somebody uh, either to play the ball to or they need somebody who's ahead of them to have the ball so that they can make the run beyond. They are not out-and-out wingers who are going to provide you with an, a fully attacking threat on their own. They need a partnership to work down the sides. They, they do, but, but the, the one thing with them as well, with those wing-backs, you, you can hark back to, say, the days of Impey and, and Guppy and think, well, actually, those two were were, were very winger-orientated rather than being full-backs, but... I think in in this game sense, it was Thomas again exceptional second half. Although a really good second half, but first half in that position, they had got their main winger Saka, England player, etc. I actually think Saka. I think his final, either his final ball or his actual shot on goal is is still fairly poor. But overall, obviously an excellent player. But they knew exactly what they were doing. Every time they were looking down their right, Leicester's left, and they just went for it every single time. And Thomas didn't know whether it was coming or going. And I'm not going to say whether if Ricardo was playing, it would have been completely different. But I'm completely sure if Ricardo was in the side, he would have been the other side, and then Castagna um, would have been on the left, that Arsenal then wouldn't have been able to target one area so much. It's very easy if you're a midfielder, or, in fact, if you're anyone in Arsenal's team, let's put it that way, where all they were told is, you stick to your position, again, the whole rope thing that I mentioned, do not move from that position unless you are the fullback who can just go do what he likes, or um, Lacazette dropping deep. And every time you get the ball, um, look up and hit it over to your right-hand side, because their young fullback slash uh, wingback is going to be further forward than he actually wants to be and there's going to be a huge gap behind there and then the the, the centre half is is Charles Asuncu who we know 
I would say he was all over the place, but he had a lot to deal with. Now, no Wilford Ndidi in the side, so Ndidi may well have been able to push back and to kind of cover that area pretty early because it was very noticeable early on. But that's all Arsenal did. And Thomas, I'm afraid to say, just got the runaround in that first half. And 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 there we go. It was just a simple case that when he was in a back four, he just looked more secure, knowing he's got someone directly in front of him who he obviously knows very well. But um, yeah, there. It was just so obvious what they were doing all the time. Get the ball, look up, right hand side, ping it into that gap because their quickest player is going to be running into a huge gap. Well, I think you can be as well drilled as you like, but realistically, especially if you've been playing most of your football in England, you're going to be most comfortable, particularly from a defensive point of view, in a back four because you know what your job is as a partnership in, in at centre-back. As a full-back, you know that your first and foremost your job is, is defending. You know where the centre-back's going to be in relation to you. And you work in little pairs that ultimately provides the, the defensive unit that is the back four. You've got your two centre-backs working together. Then you've got your right centre-back working with your right-back and your left centre-back working with your left-back. And, you know you can you can keep a shape there whereas when you're playing three or five at the back whichever way you want to look at it the job roles aren't always particularly well defined especially with how modern formations change so often even within games you don't know who necessarily you're matching up against and therefore you don't know how far out of your starting position you need to be you don't know if it's your job to cover that space or to step into it. There are is, there is so many more questions that you ask yourself. And I'm saying this from experience of, of playing this, obviously, as I say every time, not anywhere near the level of, of, of Premier League. So far away from it, you couldn't imagine. But I feel much more comfortable in a back four because I've played it more often than a back three. And as one of the two centre-backs, I know what my job is. I know who I'm covering when... I identify who the who my man is early doors and make sure that that is my my 1v1 battle that I win really. Everyone knows what they're doing. You can spend 5 6 7 days on a training ground working on this 352, but there are going to be times in a game when you're asked questions that you are not able to replicate in a training ground situation and you don't know what to do about it and that's quite clearly what happened against Arsenal at the weekend. So it, we've got to get it out of the system. And I think the second half kind of got the first half out of the system in a way. And then speaking of systems, it it's highly likely to change on Thursday against Moscow in what is a very, very important game in the context of the group. It is. I, I think the the three five two. as much as it was working because we won four games on the bounce and it was needed and it's done its job, I just think... I think with the players we've got on that side, it was just too much of a gaping hole, which eventually Thomas was pushed back to make it almost like a five in theory, and and then we came more solid. But it's um, against sides with wingers like Saka and and then Smith Rowe on the other side, who was essentially running around all over the place. Sometimes on one or two occasions, he appeared on the on the right alongside him. So it was like, hang on, your two wingers are playing on that side. There's so much room. It was uh, it was bonkers, but. For now, obviously that's going to be put on the back burner, but it can still be used. They couldn't really change in that first half because if you think about it, you've got the three centre-halves 
Who are you going to move essentially into midfield? Could you maybe put Castagna in midfield, Marty on the right? It was there was a slight, you know, you couldn't really just morph it in that first half. You had to wait for uh, the substitutions or you know, the two that were made. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that last thing you said as well. When it comes to so so three five two for me, I don't think it's completely out the window at all. Absolutely at all. It's just they. I think now they know that when they play that, I think Thomas in that three-five-two um, needs to really be careful. That's the area. Maybe it was the, and I mentioned Wilf. It was nice to see him on the bench, and Samari's been fantastic. And I know I waxed lyrical about him when we played um, Moscow. He looked, he looked the business. This was one of his poorest games uh, in midfield. I thought he was going to have a. Re- I thought he was going to actually show. Um, I said before the inside about all of a sudden I'd imagine Samare will be the one that is highlighted by some people on Match of the Day in the next few weeks to go, this guy, this guy is really good. I thought this might have been the game that he shows everyone, actually, this guy in midfield who not many people have heard of is going to show up. Fortunately, it was kind of the opposite. <laughs> he didn't have the greatest game in the world. So maybe Wilf in midfield would have been more secure in that position. But we'll, 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 we'll obviously... Now talk about games that's to come because so I'm saying it was such a bonkers game against Arsenal, so much that you can talk about the actual ninety minutes of what happened, but then there's so much you can analyse and look to way way we can go forward. You could you could essentially come out of that game with every opinion under the sun, and I think all of them would actually have some basis that you've you've gleaned from from that Arsenal game because it was so all over the place and because we played so many different formations, players playing in different places and also playing to various degrees as well. I think anyone coming out of that game going, I think we should play X, Y and Z with these players, you look at and for this reason, because it happened in the Arsenal game, and I think you could have six or seven different versions of that, all saying because it happened in the Arsenal game, and you're like, well, actually, yeah, you can't really, you can't say that's wrong, really. But um, I agree with you against Moscow. I think they would have gone back back four anyway, and I think they would have gone with the three up top. Um, also, because of being a midweek game in between Premier League games, I'm not saying it was a similar team to against Brighton, but you would have had Barnes in the side. I'm pretty sure. Um, Possibly with Vardy having a slight knock midweek, etc. And there was a little question mark about his uh, his um, involvement against Arsenal. Whether Dakar would have started, more than likely, obviously. But then, would he have started in this game against Moscow? I, I don't know. I thought that might have been 50-50 with Vardy. Um, now, I don't know. With, with with the game of the weekend against Leeds, they, he might be playing Dakar. Um if Vardy didn't have a knock and maybe even scored at the weekend, for example, then he, I think they might have gone Vardy because it's such an important game. And then Luckman on the other side, more than likely. So I think it's going to be a strong Leicester team. Really interesting to see where the Wolf comes in. If he's fit enough to be on the bench in the Premier League, I'd imagine that he'll probably start in this game because, or he'll play at least a full, say, half an hour, maybe even a half. Maybe even they go, look, Bibicara, you play the first half, and Wilf, you're playing the second half. There's your substitute. It's going to be made, no matter how well you're playing or whatever. Um, and then the rest of the team more or less kind of fills itself. Uh, I'd imagine the back four will be the back four from from what happened in the second half. It's a must-win game. It's a game that Leicester, in theory, should win. There will be favourites for it. We know that we can score goals against Moscow. 
We know that they can score goals as well, but if you think back to that game, it was it was not quite basketball up until the second half and that crazy period of time when Leicester were scoring with every attack and then all of a sudden just conceded that third to make things a slightly more awkward. The, the, if you remember the goals, they were very awkward goals that they scored. So Leicester really should should win this game. And I, and I believe that, and I'm very confident that they will. I really am confident. I think they'll have the firepower. I think they'll have the incentive. And I think they'll also have the rocket from the manager as well. I think they'll start. It, the, the first 20 minutes, I can just see Leicester piling forward, absolutely piling forward, and, and getting the early goal. Once they get an early goal or get the first goal in the game, then they have the quality really to to then dictate the game. But I can't see anything apart from a home win um, and a really quick start. Um, it might even be slightly manic in that first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just because of the dreadful first half against Arsenal. Well, essentially what we're looking for is the fast start and then to dictate and and get control of the game. You're really looking for Leicester to start the way that Arsenal started at the weekend, get a couple of early goals, get on top, make sure the crowd are behind you. And then I think Leicester have proved uh, under Brendan Rodgers that they are decent at controlling a game even even when the opposition are trying to come back at them. So I, I would feel fairly confident that if Leicester went 2-0 up inside the first half an hour, say, that they would have the capability to see the game out. Not saying that sit backs to the wall for, for the next hour, but to, to manage the game effectively. And it is a game that Leicester need three points from. Let's be perfectly honest. The, the Europa League campaign has, has stuttered a little bit so far. Is at the halfway point, and it's very condensed in the group in terms of the points that the that the teams have. So Leicester need to put Moscow out of the picture, really, and they need to put themselves in the best possible position with two games to go. Uh, I wonder if if the back four is returning, uh, and if there are question marks over little niggles with with Ricardo, whether Bertrand will get a run out against Moscow because. He clearly doesn't fancy him as a wing back, which I can understand. He's not, he's not as quick and dynamic as Luke Thomas. Although, although I think he's got a, a very good left foot on him in terms of the quality of his delivery, Bertrand. But if you're playing a back four, then I've got no problem starting him at left back. Uh, there is the Johnny Evans maintenance issue. Can he play Thursday night and then Sunday against Leeds? Would you want to risk that happening, knowing that he'll go away and play for Northern Ireland in the international break because, you know, he's probably their best player? Um, it, it might be that he he comes out of the picture. And then if you add in Vestergaard into that back four with Bertrand, you, you're automatically thinking, well, there's probably not a clean sheet there, is there? But I don't think it'll be wholesale changes, but I think there'll be a change of shape and I think there'll be an opportunity for uh, a couple of players to slot back in and and it's not really about getting some minutes as it is about protecting certain other players you know Luke Thomas Brennan Rodgers has talked before about his physical development and wing back you've got to say is one of the most physically demanding positions in football and to play that in the Premier League having had no first team experience anywhere else 
is a big ask against an England winger, uh, no, no less. So it might be a chance to... Well, it depends on how the management is with Luke Thomas. It, it it might be a chance to take him out of the firing line, get him to rest up and, and then use him against Leeds if you need to. Or it might be if, if he's that kind of player where he'll relish being chucked straight back in in a slightly more familiar left-back role if if they do play the back four, then then that's an option as well. But, you know, Bertrand has played in Europe. He, he's, he's experienced. You'd, you'd expect a player like him to be your go-to man to kind of shore things up a little bit. But, yeah, Leicester, Leicester have got to prove that they can start games better and that's... And that, that's I think the crux of the matter is is to to get at Moscow from the get go and not even give them a chance of getting into the game. I think how balmy the game against Arsenal was, but I would I would give Thomas this the starting berth at left back because of the performance against Arsenal, because his second half performance was so good with Barnes ahead of him. So Barnes plays on the left, so does Thomas. I think that's that that's the way Leicester should go. With a view maybe to the Premier League game as well, the, kind of the opposite to what you said in a way. I think they worked so well in the in the second half. Throw them in again and go right. Do that again. Essentially, you can you've got that. Go and do it again. And then in the Premier League after that against Leeds, that's when there might be a question mark because on the right he's taken on arguably one of the best right wingers in the league, and that's Rafinha. And so I would then be to go. Hang on. Right. What do we do there? Are we going to bring in Bertrand? Are we going to bring in... Are we going to switch um, Castagna that side? Is Pereira then fit? He plays on the right. So that would be more of a question mark. I would actually say to Thomas, right, you're playing against Moscow and then we'll see what happens with... And I'd, I'd, I can see if um, Pereira's back, then he playing on the right and then maybe Castagna switches to the left and he looks after Rafinha. That could well be the case. But, but anyway... Um, that game against Leeds, I'm just looking at the league table saying this. We're we're in eleventh, but I, I like to look at um at the gap to fifth. That's really how I, I will look at the league table. Saying that, you know, Spurs having a terrible season, changing the manager, they're actually what one point better off than us. And Wolves had that poor start and Arsenal as well, and yet they're sixth and seventh. Uh but the gap between ourselves and Manchester United in fifth is three points. So it's not the end of the world, but we do need to start turning these. We've got a, a, a decent run of fixtures on the horizon, which I know doesn't really mean anything with Leicester, to be perfectly honest. You know, we played Chelsea at home after the game against Leeds, and then we've got Watford at home, uh, the returning Ranieri, then we've got Southampton away, we've got Aston Villa away, we've got Newcastle at home. Um, so those four games on paper do look very good in the Premier League. But the Leeds game does become quite important because you then play Chelsea at home. What you don't want to do is lose away at Leeds and then you're playing Chelsea at home thinking, well, hang on, you're potentially only a few points away from towards the bottom of the table and you don't want that at any point in the season. So we're 10 games in now, we're 11th in the league, but we're still only three points off fifth. So it's not panic stations at all. It's not we're never going to get in Europe, but it is a. It does give a lot of importance on this game against Leeds. It's really probably the best way of saying that. When you're in every single competition, again, we could beat Moscow on Thursday, and you look at the situation, you go, right, you're in the quarterfinals of the League Cup, 
you're in a now a, a, a very promising position in Europe after a poor start. Uh, you're not a million miles off, well, three points off fifth in the Premier League. And also, you've got so much more improvement to happen in a side that, at the moment, looks to be so in and out of form and formations. It's difficult for Rodgers because you've got a set team now of about 16 or 17 first-team players who are all... Yes, you would have your first 11. Everyone would have their own first 11, which arguably would be very similar to others. It might differ by one or two players. But I think at Leicester, you've got probably on form at the moment, and you could argue about is it because of the roles that they play in different formations, but I think at the moment you've got about 16 to 18 players who are all very similar into the level of form that they're showing. It's so up and down all the time. You can change from one podcast to another about whether this is working and that's working. It's so up and down. And so Rogers at the moment, he must be scratching his head going, well, we haven't really... The reason we haven't got a settled team is because we've got these 18 players. No one's really standing out as, I am a definite first-team player. I know you've got those core players, you Evans, etc., and you've got keep that you're going to have. But the rest of them are all so... I mean, but Barnes, in that second half, you're going, right, he's now in the first team because it was a brilliant second half. But before that, he's been quite poor this season. <laughs> you've got then other players in... You've got Kelechi Nacho who... Again, I don't think he had a poor game, but now he's probably going to be on the sidelines because of the formation. Yet, he was the one who's kind of changed around the form in recent weeks. You've got Bubakara Samare, who had a really, really poor game and could easily be replaced now by Ndidi. And yet, before that, he looked very good. So, it's it's so up and down, um, just like that game against Arsenal, you know. So, so in and out. I'm going to go for a comprehensive home win against Moscow. Uh, I think... There'll be plenty of changes. I think there'll be plenty of changes during the game. And I hope that they're going to take place, and I expect them to take place, whilst the game is kind of in the bag. You know, it's been sorted out. And that's because I'm going to go for a 3-0 home win. Um, I think they'll probably play Vestergaard from the start. Uh, I can't see any reason why not. He's he's at the club. He's, he's He needs um, a good couple of games, and I think this is ideal. Uh, I, I would not like to see him maybe against, say, Leeds, but I think against Moscow at home, I can't see any reason why he can't start. Uh, who he plays alongside is a different matter. I'd like it to probably to be Evans. I think those two working together would be nice. Um, maybe Soyuncu then could come on for Evans once, hopefully, the game's in the bag, a la what we said with uh, Wilfred Ndidi and, and Bibikari Samare. So I'm going to go for a 3-0 win. And uh, and yeah, hope I'm going to go for a three 0 win with with a really quick start from Leicester to kind of get out of their system. What happened on Saturday? Yeah, I'm going three one against Moscow, and then I'm still not backing Leicester to keep a clean sheet against Leeds at the weekend. But I am going to go for back to back victories, and I'm going to go two one. I reckon against Leeds. Back-to-back victories, 3-1, 2-1. Yeah, very very strange game against Leeds, depending on what the team is, etc. There are, It depends on who's playing for them as well. They've got a number of players out. Spamford's been out pretty much all season, if not all season. He's, uh, oh no, I think he played for the first few games. But anyway, they've been really, really poor. They got the win against Norwich, but 
it wasn't exactly a, a dominating performance against Norwich, although then again, neither was ours. It's always going to be awkward away, but I, I think with a good win under their belts, I can't see any reason why Leicester can't go and beat Leeds at Ellen Road. I, I can't see any reason why not. Uh, they're conceding goals in the Premier League. They conceded 17 goals, same amount as what we have. But they've only scored 10. They've got problems up front. Rafinha aside, who has been excellent this season, I think if you keep him quiet, you keep Leeds quiet. So hopefully that's the case. And I was going to go 2-1, but I'm going to go I'm going to go for I'm going to go mad. I'm going to go 2-0. So I'm going to go back to back, not only wins, but back to back clean sheets. Um Hopefully they don't have many corners. Although I, I, I will say with the corners, the the two goals that we've conceded recently, um, I'm referring to the one against Brentford and then the one against Arsenal rather than the, say the Brighton one because it couldn't bounce in this and the other. Uh, but the goal against Brentford, uh, Jorgensen, I thought that was a really good header, and he was running away from goal. And I think to try and defend that would have been. It is, that's a really difficult corner to defend, to to hit that area and for a guy to be running a, kind of away from goal and to, to kind of flick it on with that pace. I thought it was a really good header. And then obviously the goal, you play, you can see the goal against Arsenal in, at home in that way. You're always going to get, um, you know, moaned at and, and deservedly so. But again, equally, it kind of hit the, the back or the side of Gabriel's head. In a very similar position. Now, whether that's a position Leicester need to look at and go, well, hang on, you need, as well as you can have someone on the near post, the, the, the front side of the six-yard box needs to be better marshaled by one of the taller players, uh, which obviously needs to be the case. But um, but the rest of the time, I thought the delivery was slightly poor, but they were, they were kind of fine. So I'm not defending them, but I'm going to look at those two goals and go, especially that first one, they were excellent set plays, and as much as there are problems with Leicester's defending of set plays, I think those two maybe weren't the worst defending, if you know what I mean. It was, uh, I think, especially the Brentford one. I think uh, Gabriel lost his man, but I wouldn't be. I'm not being massively critical now. If it carries on, obviously, but uh, hopefully Vestergaard can uh, arrest that uh, small slide against uh, Moscow with his uh, with his head. Premier League table looks interesting, doesn't it? Because we've, we've spoken a, a few minutes ago about the Europa League table and that, how condensed it is there. Obviously, it's only four teams. It's only a six-game kind of group stage. But the Premier League table, I, I like your optimism for looking up and saying, oh, we're only three points off a fifth. But if you look down and say Leeds have been struggling this season and they're 17th, one place above the, the relegation zone, they're only four points away if you're looking down the table as well. So that that kind of... Not just because it's Leeds, but it adds extra impetus to to results coming up over the next few weeks in the Premier League because, you know, there are teams hitting different patches of form. I think Wolves have got 13 points from the the last 15 available. Um, You know, teams are going to start going on longer runs of form and and Leicester need to be able to match that fairly sharpish in order to make sure that they are continuing to look up and not necessarily looking over their shoulder. Um, because lots of teams have struggled for consistency in, in the first part of the season. And, 
it, it, you know, it sounds quite a simple thing to say, but that Leicester have got to find a recipe for that consistency if they want to be in the top six come the end of the season because it's not about playing well against Manchester United. It's about getting positive results three games out of five or four games out of five. You know, it's, it's about stringing together consistently uh, enough points to be able to to maintain or improve your league position. Uh, and that's what we've struggled with this season, but we are certainly not alone. And I think we are quite fortunate to to still be as in touch as we are. But you've got to be going out and beating teams that have struggled, like Leeds. You've got to be going out and beating those at the weekend. Yep, I think so. And, uh, well, fingers crossed that uh, either of us are right with our two predictions. Maybe one each. Or, yeah, we'll go for one could be right and the other one could be right and the other one because it still means two wins. Now, to finish off the podcast, let's have a look at the, because obviously it's been a couple of weeks, the Fantasy Football League. So the For Fox 8 podcast official Premier League Fantasy Football League. And for that, we need the music. <laughs> So the top 10 of the For Fox 8 podcast Fantasy Football League in 10th place with 635 points. Manikandan Kezavan uh, with 20, 2021, that's his team name, with 635 points. Up into 9th place, Fraser Hodgkins, Lord of the Ings, 637 points. 8th place, Vini Vidi Vardy, Ben Melbourne, same amount of points, 637. In 7th place, it's Javiz Muzamil with Karachi Breeze, 643 points. Down into sixth place is Jeff Linton, enter team name, 658 points. Top five. In fifth place, Jack Wright with Daka Daka Hey Hey, 661. Up into fourth, Jack R, that's Samare, with 674 points. And then up into third place, we've got Aman Gulati with Team Dalek, 682 points. In second place, Team Addy, Adam Wise, with 698 points. And then, still leading, no change, is uh, Marim Brakash with Bahim Boys, 707 points. So he's nine points clear. So top 10, 635 points. Now I am in 45th place with Daka Do Do Do. I got 57 points last week. Not bad. Uh, 500, 579 points. So a little way off the top 10. And Rob, I seem to have leapfrogged you again. I was scrolling down. Um, now that's Samare, Rob Hayes, 569 points. So there's only 10 points between us. But uh, you do have a side in the top four, I see, with that Samari. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my other team. I, I, I'm running the B team at the minute. I'm the B team manager, and uh, I'm just scrolling up to see who it is it's also that Samari Jack R. Yeah, he's uh, I've let him take over senior squad duties at the moment. No, absolutely no relation. It's obviously just a really, really, really well thought of team name. So. Congratulations to you, Jack R, for choosing that name. Yeah, uh, very average week for me, 45. Uh, and the week before, I loaded my team with with uh, Chelsea players, obviously playing against Norwich. They absolutely battered them, and no Chelsea player that I put in my team 
did any of the battering, which was rather frustrating. Um, and I tried a bit of a differential last week as well. I went very, very bravely rogue. It was a last-minute decision to not captain Salah, thinking that Manchester United would have some kind of bounce back after losing to us. And, and then, obviously, that happened against Liverpool. Um, so I backed Salah again this week, and he obviously didn't do an awful lot. So it's it's one of those games, isn't it, fantasy football? I think football itself is a very frustrating game, but fantasy football makes it even more so. Yeah, it does. It, it really does. And the, the final thing, really, just to finish off the podcast, um, the news that, obviously, the, uh, the ground redevelopment got um, basically put forward for then hopefully planning permission to be granted by the council, which seems to be, if it's given, I can't see any reason why not, but who knows, uh, at the start of next year, um, after the consultation with supporters, etc., overwhelming support for it, really. Um, and, and in that detail, very interestingly, if you think of the site, Leicester own not the entire site. They've brought out everything bar the, the Eon building, on the corner of um, of Elston Road, and then you've got the what Filbert Way, etc. That corner building was always there. If you look at the plans, it doesn't all go to the road, does it? It's the, there is that building still there, but on the plans that were submitted, it highlighted the fact that Leicester have actually bought that building now. It's not going to be part of the plans, so the plans will remain as they are, but. Leicester now own all the land from the East End all the way up to Elston Road. So if you think about when the redevelopment happens, I can't see any reason why not that building is just demolished and you've got either more car parking, which more than likely will be the case, but it could easily be just an area where, I mean, if you were putting statues or kind of an entrance, because the amount of people who walk from the train station or that way to the ground there's your kind of big gateway to the new area. So that's great news because it would have looked a bit funny having that big build or that building still there. And you're like, what are you doing there? So really good news. And um, and we'll see what possibly would be put there in the future. I mean, who knows what could be there? It's quite a big area, but it, it just, I think when the whole thing is developed, that area will, that building will take two seconds to knock down. But uh, yeah, just, just a, a nice little highlight rather than just it being the plans that we've seen. 